0: Where is that land? Huh? Boy, that's been fun. <laughs> to remember the direction of our projects, right? Yeah, that miraculous consensus and opportunities that have come to us. So we plan to prioritize the academy, right? We're gonna call it an academy because there's already a John Paul II school in the area. And we will proceed with it if we can demonstrate that there's an adequate enrollment, right? So we'll begin to sample that. That will eventually, hopefully, grow, but we'll begin with K through 3, K through 4, and then expand a grade every year, and then work on preschool in the meanwhile. And then if there is need, then at some point we'll expand and offer additional sections and additional section in each grade, so that we'd have two in each grade eventually. And that building would allow us to use the cafeteria for some social events like donuts and coffee after mass. And then we'll also phase in the church building itself, the permanent church itself. Instead of building a gymnasium, that would be something like this, probably with higher ceilings, but something like this. We're opting to phase in the church and the ornamentation of the church so that it's affordable, doable. With that said, though, it's going to be a huge undertaking, a heavy lift. It's doable if we all put our backs into it. But it is going to be an enormous undertaking, enormous opportunity. You remember the timeline that we threw up there, what's doable? Well opening the Academy in 2025 is doable. According to the architect, it is doable. But that's gonna require us to, to engage in an aggressive approach to design development and such. Because we're not just talking about delaying moving into offices, a month delay there, a couple months delay there is no big deal, but we're talking about a whole school year right? So what's doable technically, if the funds are where they need to be, is actually to break ground in December or January, as hard as that is to believe. So there's an extraordinary amount of work that needs to be done. Part of that is going to require me to be away a little bit during the summer, and it's going to require more visiting priests than what I would like, maybe not more than what you would like, but more than what I would like. Uh, One of the visits or part of the visitations are just to see how other institutions, namely schools and academies, have started from the ground up or have revitalized themselves. I visited one such academy a couple weeks ago in Heightsville, Maryland. It's in the Washington DC area. It's really considered one of the flagship classical Catholic schools in the country. It's got a remarkable story so it's a parochial school there in that diocese parishes don't support the schools much if any so it's all tuition and fundraising based which is remarkable in itself but in 2010 they had somewhere around 180 students and they were significantly in debt so the diocese said well you've got a little bit of time before your doors are closed so the principal approached the pastor and said look This classical approach to forming children is so consistent with our mission as Christian disciples, I think we should do it. Of course, went into much more detail, but the pastor basically said, well, what do we have to lose? (laughs) It's gonna close, so why not try it? At this point, they're at capacity. They have almost 500 students there. They have 250 applications every year for 60 openings. 250 applications every year for 60 openings. It's remarkable. The principal told me that he's very selective. I want families who join in the mission that they've articulated. He said, I'm not an empty seat guy. I'm not one who believes that you've got a teacher, you're paying a teacher, you've got empty seats. Well, get people in to pay tuition and you... You have better numbers on your books. He said that begins to contravene your, your mission. Really seemed that God was at work there, and the Spirit's hand seemed to be evident. Now, you might say, well, other places have grown, and that's true, but you should see their building. From the 1950s, nothing wrong with the 1950s, but there's no central air. They're all window units. There's no ball field. The families are there because of the content of what's being offered. I and mean, it really does seem that God's at work, that the Spirit can be seen. You know, in the earliest Greek text of the Creed, there is no definite article before the words Holy Spirit. We say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. In the original, the earliest text that we have, It was simply, I believe in Holy Spirit. Now, by doing that, by omitting the definite article, the emphasis was laid on how the Holy Spirit is known in the community of believers. It's like Holy Spirit power. How do you know it? Well, because you can see it. Profession of faith in Holy Spirit was at the same time, simultaneously, a profession of faith in the community of believers, in the church. The two are wrapped up together. And the Holy Spirit is, God, is Christ's ongoing presence in history. We see it in spectacular ways in the miracles of the saints, for example, but most especially in their love that mirrors that love on the cross that opened the end of death to a new beginning that has no end. See, God has turned his face toward us. Mankind seeks God, and God has turned to us and given us that which we could never have achieved on our own. You know I was thinking about this with our recent graduations, you know high school, college, etc. You see it especially in the young people who have such vivid, palpable hopes for their future, for another degree, maybe in college, for athletic success or career success. But what do we consistently find? Is that when we obtain something, when we are successful in some way, we kind of, don't we, look for the next thing that doesn't satisfy us. You know, there must be a greater hope which exceeds what we can secure with our own effort, which God alone provides. You know, Classical Catholic education situates all that's studied within mankind's search for God and God's search for man, for turning his face to us. You know, without this, the study of history, for example, is incomplete. For civilizations sought and seek truths and a good way to live and beautiful things in all its form. Well, they were and they are seeking God, the source of all truth, the source of all that is good and beautiful and whose image we've been created. So by seeking those transcendent realities, mankind comes to better understand God, ourselves, the world, and our place and mission in the world. And they draw upon what's called an integrated curriculum, and they take as a reference point St. Paul's words, all things are held together by Christ. Our life, is not all these disparate things that have no relationship to one another. But they're all held together by Him who created all things, hold things into, holds things in existence. So, for example, when the kids study the Middle Ages, they look at the effect that human virtues had on that time, and the effect that Christian virtues had. They gave rise to Gothic cathedrals, and as they look at the Gothic cathedrals, well, they learn a little bit about the science of the time, the math, the architecture. And then they say, look at the shapes in those marvelous windows. They studied geometry and the music that was sung at the time, learn how to interpret it and sing it. And then all of that happens in this meeting place where Christ becomes present right there. You know, by seeking those transcendent realities. Mankind comes to better understand God, ourselves, the world, and our place and mission in the world. It was one of the most fascinating things to behold. But it made me think, is not that precisely what we look forward to in our new church? You know, we don't want 10-foot ceilings like we have here, do we? No. We want ceilings that soar to the skies, That suggests something that the human heart aspires to something beyond what we ourselves can build. To raise our eyes upwards, to look to him who alone can fulfill what we want. We don't want ceilings that are just drywall and recessed lighting. Those are fine in homes. But what do we want? We want a ceiling that's like a heavenly canopy with stars or sparkling colors. To represent the gems, the sparkling gems of the new Jerusalem. We want materials that evoke a sense of strength, proportions that are fitting and true. We want the usage of natural sunlight to illuminate our hearts, to suggest the rays that we just sung about of the Holy Spirit actually do penetrate and touch us interiorly. We want ornamentation that's a sign of beauty itself. We want elements that recall that God has intervened in our history, that we have encountered him. We want to leave that space changed and thus capable of effecting good change out there. And because our church obviously won't be boring, we'll need to learn how to read it, decipher it. For it will speak to us, but we have to learn its language too. On June 5th, we'll have a talk on Catholic education. On June 19th, we'll have a nationally known author and speaker come here and present on church architecture so that we can better perceive what it is that we are about to build. Friends, God's face has turned towards us. And the way that we know that ours is turned towards his... Is by the evidence of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives.